This is Chad Harrington here. My company, Harrington Interactive Media, produces and sponsors this podcast. We help you create and market media. And if you're thinking about launching a podcast, we'd love to help. We'll help you get your message out there and generate leads too. To start a conversation with us, click on our website link in the show notes of this episode and go to harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. In this episode, Andy Marshall shares his talk called The Rest of the Story, recorded on April 4th, 2019. Cast aside at age 13, my, my mother and stepfather asked me to leave the house. My stepfather asked me to leave my house. My mother agreed. Um, and I agreed. I agreed it was time to go. And I mentioned that I landed softly in Franklin. I had a father that lived here. Um, we didn't have a... a much of a relationship. I, I got to spend one week of summer with him, and then occasionally in his travels, um, if wherever we were at, uh, he would stop in and maybe take me to a ball game or something. And so my relationship with him really began when I got here to Franklin. And so um, I had put a lot, I, had just, I was a recently um, found Christian at age 13. And uh, that happened 30 days before I was asked to, to leave the house. So there was a foundation that had started in my life. And I had always looked at my father as, boy, if I could just move in with my dad, everything would be good. And I put a ton of weight on that, uh, on that thought. And then when I got here, I found out, well, he, he, he's just a man. He, he wasn't my savior. He wasn't the man that was going to... Um, save me, right? He he was he was a man that was uh, out of circumstances. Says yes, I'll take you in, and then we had to figure out the relationship from there. Now, when I came into the relationship, I was a good boy. I mean, I did not want to be rejected. I did not want to be uh, sent out somewhere else. And uh, and my stepmother tell you of of the five of us three from my side and her two, I was the most compliant, easy to get along with kid because I was scared to death that somebody was going to tell me to leave. So, um, I was, you know, I was, I was a decent, decent kid, but I, but I was also, um, for some of you that know me a long time, uh, a high energy, um, get into, get into messes and make mistakes kind of guy. So, um, going through high school here in Franklin was was a, a good good life, and um, I made a lot of good friends, and uh, established uh, uh, friendships that last a long long time. And some of those are, are here with us today. But uh, many of you know Tommy Waller. Um, he's got a ministry in Israel called Hayuvel. Tommy and I grew up together. He was the first person. I really met when I came here to Franklin 
waiting at the bus stop. His parents had the Baptist Children's Home. We lived across the street, and we met there at the bus stop, and we became uh, lifelong friends. And uh, Tommy's family was a, was a great example to me. His parents were house parents taking care of a bunch of kids that were going to come and go, and some of them with real problems, and some of them uh, just needing love and security and shelter. And so um, I kind of watched his family and how they, they operated, and, and I gravitated to that. Um, as, a, as a young man, I gravitated to, to that embracing love. And so um, a friendship started being built, and, uh, and life started, started changing for me. Um, I started going to a church uh, called the Lord's Chapel, and I had when I moved in with my dad, I always thought they went to church. I always put that image on him that he was a godly man. He went to church. Well, when I got here, he didn't go to church, but <clears throat> I wanted to go to church, and so um, I got Tommy and I got to telling stories about this place called Lord's Chapel, and we'd heard all this mystical stories about them, you know, that they were doing some really weird and crazy things over there, and, you know, people were cutting their fingers, leaving their church, and putting it on the wooden cross and all this sort of stuff. Church had burned down twice, right? So all this had built up about it. So we decided to go and visit, and we went and visited, and we both just sat there and... uh, in total awe of the Holy Spirit that was moving, and we couldn't really speak about it. And we left, and the next week, separately, we both showed back up to the church, and uh, and that's where my spiritual grounding began. So we started going to this youth group there, and uh, and to set the story of who I am as a person, the the youth minister one day put his hands on my shoulder. He was a big man. Mari knows him. Bruce Coble. He's a big Italian-looking fella running our youth group, doing a great job with the kids. And he one day pulled me aside, and he put his hands on my shoulder, pushing down rather heavily. And he said, you know, you may want to consider being a little more like Paul and a little less like Peter. And so that kind of sets the stage of who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more like Peter and a little less like Paul. I wasn't raised in church. I'm, I'm a passionate uh, person. I'm an emotional person. And, uh, and so I connect a lot with, uh, with Peter's story. And, um, and so that's always resonated with me. And when he said that, I had to figure out, because I wasn't raised in church, I had to figure out, okay, who, what, what are, what, who is Paul and what, what are his characteristics? Who is, you know, who is John and what are his characteristics? And, and what is, who is Peter and what are his characteristics? So I, I really dug in and started trying to figure, figure out what the characteristics of the people that Jesus surrounded himself with. And I started realizing that all walks of life, right? Jesus was calling all walks of life, so I didn't have to be a Bible scholar. I didn't have to raise and be raised in a good family um, atmosphere for for God to, to to call me and use me. So, to kind of put an example of how you may be a little more like Peter and a little less like Paul, there was a, a time when I went to youth group. Then I started leading the youth group um, years later with a friend of mine named Johnny McClendon, who's now a pastor. 
And so Johnny and I had taken a group um, to Opryland, and we were we were at one of the music halls where it was it was kind of a rainy day, so we were ducking in and out of places where we could stay dry, and we had a we were at the I don't know the the 50s area when they were they were playing music, and we were sitting there, and and I was praying, and and what I was praying was. There were some things being said on the stage to the young people that I thought was, boy, if they could just hear the, the true message, right? If they could, they could hear the true message of, of, of what God has for them instead of this, this stuff that was being projected from the stage. And the next thing I know, as I had my head down praying, this girl taps me on the shoulder and she says, how about you? Why don't you come up on stage with us and had a microphone? <laughs> And I went instantly into, um, instead of what I was praying for, I went instantly into entertaining, entertaining from the microphone and, and being um, more like Peter and less like, like Paul. So after that was over, we left, and Johnny saw me, and I was tearing up, and he said, what's wrong? And I said, I said man, I blew it. I blew it. I had an opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ from that stage, and instead I entertained. And uh, I said, man, I really blew it. And he said, man, we blow it every day. You just happen to blow it with a mic in your hand. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the kind of friend Johnny and I I have been for years. But that sets the, the stage of being um, more like Peter and less like Paul. And my whole life has been examples of that. So at age 26, I bought my first grocery store. Um, I went to Middle Tennessee State University, studied business. The whole time I was in college, I was um, thinking about running a business. I had an entrepreneurial mind. I wanted to run a business. And my dad was in business uh, for himself. He didn't start business in himself until I had graduated high school. He bought his first grocery store. I stayed out of college for six months, helped him get started in his business. He didn't ask me to, but I, you know, I, I wanted to be, be that faithful son and, uh, and please him by staying out of college and working with him. And, um, and on that journey, you know, he said to me, son, if you don't go to college now, you'll never go. And so I went and enrolled at MTSU. Uh, Mari Armstrong back here was one of my college roommates. Sorry, Mari. And uh, MTSU was, was good to me, but my mind was always on operating a business. It was good to me in the fact that I, I met fell in love with uh, my, my wife, and, um, and that was probably the reason I was there. The education was good, um, but my mind was always outside of college, and, you know, I've got to get through this to start a business. So... At age 26, I found a little country grocery store out in uh, Hopkinsville, Kentucky. It was a complete and total wreck, um, which made it affordable. (laughs) And that's how I got started in in business. I bought this little country grocery store. I remodeled it. I cleaned it up, um, restocked it, uh, did all the things that uh, a high-energy person can do if you just stay busy, right? So I wasn't a great leader because I did everything, and my and people sat around and watched me do everything. So um, I didn't learn a lot about leadership at that time. I learned it on my path, but 
Um, we did manage to um, change this little grocery store around. It, it turned into um, winning uh, Businessman of the Year twice in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And I was real proud of that because I wanted it to make my dad proud. And, um, and then I went on from there um, and um, bought my first grocery store in Nashville. It was in Bordeaux, in the community of Bordeaux. And uh, it was um, an underutilized um, grocery store. And I was able to, to flip it around and turn it into um, a really nice community grocery store. And it started getting a lot of recognition. So I started, started enjoying the recognition because I thought it was a way for me and my dad to, to connect. I thought it was a way that, that he and I could have a, a shared understanding and relationship and that it would make a stronger um, a re relationship. Um, my dad was a good man, but he uh, was a man of very few words. So often you didn't know where you stood with him because he, he wouldn't tell you. He just was very stoic in nature, but a good man. And so I wanted, I worked hard to try and hear the words. And so um, in that journey of owning my second grocery store, my dad and my stepmother had a horrible accident coming back from Panama City. She survived it. Um, he survived 14 days um, with nearly every bone in his body broken on ventilators and everything. We were flying down there and being with him and all this um, turmoil. And during that time, every time I, we were down there, I'd get a call and, um, hey, um, your Bordeaux restaurant got broken into last night. They smashed the windows and, you know, whatever they stole. It was, at that point, was really, didn't matter, you know. Just fix the window, you know. The next night, I got a call. It happened four times in a matter of one week while I was there with my dad. So it was a real trial. You know, it was one of those tempering-type trials where I was saying, God, am I supposed to be here with my dad or am I supposed to be back with my business trying to, it, it, babysitting with a shotgun? You know, is that really what you want me to do? And so um, we ended up losing my dad. And for those of you that... A lot of you in, in this room has been through it, right? Um, there's there's this weird connection between father and son. And when I lost him, there was a piece of me, a piece of my drive that I was questioning, you know, what, what, why am I doing this? And so God dealt with that with me. He, he dealt um, mightily with me. You know, you would call it pruning um, because I'd gone from um, two grocery stores to four grocery stores I felt like I was at the pinnacle of my career. I had introduced Piggly Wiggly uh, grocery stores to Nashville, and I had talked 50-plus uh, owners into changing their concepts so we could form a buying group, and I was just motoring through business. I was drive, 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 and uh, raising a, a young family at the same time and, and seeking uh, someone's approval, but my dad was gone. I wasn't really sure whose approval I was seeking. And, um, and so... I became president of the Tennessee Grocery Association. I became national president of the Piggly Wiggly Association. I, I had won the Spirit of America Award for my work in the grocery business. I, I was getting all this recognition, but I, there was something missing. 
there was there was something inside of me that was missing, and um, and I heard pretty clearly from God that I came into this world with nothing, and I'm going to ask you to give up all this, and um, and I said, how do I give it up? Well, you hear Dave Ramsey on the radio, get debt free, get debt free. I thought maybe he just wants me debt free, so. I put my grocery stores up for sale, had no plan, sold them all, had to close one, went through the, the pain of all that and talking to the employees and trying to explain, you know, why I was doing this. And uh, But it was a matter of obedience. And um, it was obedience that I didn't understand at the time, but I, I learned later, right? So I sold the stores and... Had off about six months, did all the personality tests. I thought I wanted to teach school, John. I thought I wanted to teach school and, uh, and coach, uh, that that would make me happy because I love pouring into young people. And the personality test come back and says, you ain't teaching school. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to run anything. You know, you're, you're a doer. You're not going to ask permission for anything. And... Um, <laughs> And so uh, teaching school was out, but I could be a coach. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I went through the, all this personal life, and they all came back, you're an entrepreneur. That's who you are. That's what you need to do. And in order for you to, to be happy, you need to create. So um, on that journey, you know, God pruned me pretty deep, almost so deep that I wasn't sure if it was a pruning or if it was killing it at its roots and we were going to plant a new seed. And I'm still not really clear on it. I, I, I want to choose that it was a deep pruning um, because my life always connects back to the grocery business somehow. So um, I ended up buying a little country grocery store called Leaper's Fork. And it was in the middle of nowhere. It made no sense uh, whatsoever. Business-wise, made no sense. But there was a, a, a connection there that God wanted me to go through something. And I was being obedient, and so we bought it. We, I put in the, the energies that I've always put in, and I made it this cool little country grocery store and uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and I, I son, suddenly realized this, this ain't going to work. You know, There's more money going out that's coming in. There's not enough people are mobile. They'll drive right by you and go to Franklin to go to Kroger's, and you you know they'll stop and maybe pick up a can of tomatoes, but they're not going to pick up the the hamburger and and the tomatoes and everything else that it makes that you need to make spaghetti. They're just going to pick up a part of it, whatever they forgot. So I started changing a Leaper's Fork into a a community center. Uh, change it to something that um, that. People would come and hang out and gather, and hopefully they would eat. So food became became the, the next part of my life, and uh, I follow my passion. I've always loved to cook, and, and it was you know always um, family gatherings. My brother and I would compete, you know who was gonna who was gonna get to cook, and so it always was a passion. And I put that passion into Leaper's Fork, and I started making. 18-hour Memphis-style barbecue, the way I had seen it made when I was growing up. And, um, and Leaper's Fork suddenly started changing. It started being blessed in a way that was unexplainable. Um, 
It was 2,200 square feet. It was doing about a million and a half in business, and um, and a lot of that was in food. And um, and so through that process, I said, well, you know, this is really a restaurant pretending to be a grocery store. <laughs> so how do I leverage that? Well, we found this location, um, which had, had been underutilized. I remember it as a bicycle shop. A lot of you remember that. We went over here to Christ Community Church, and this was a bicycle shop. And then it went through a couple iterations after that. And uh, and so when I found it, it was city something, city market or something. And um, and so um, I sat here, Mount, Mount right there. Um, and watch nobody come through the door for a couple hours. And I thought, this is perfect. <laughs> they were tearing up the road. You couldn't even drive up and down this road. The, the courthouse was about finished. That was in process. And so uh, we ended up taking this over and creating what, what's here now as Puckett's. And uh, it struggled for about a year and a half while they finished the construction. And then little by little, uh, started changing. So um, uh, from there, um, things started uh, blossoming as a as a business, um, and uh, blossoming in me as a as a leader. I started learning that you invest in people, not in brick and mortar. That you uh, invest your time into coaching, teaching, and training, not in doing, and that uh, leveraging other people's talents was far smarter than relying just on your talents because mine were mine were limited i knew i knew my ceiling and i tried to overcome my ceiling by how hard i would work um so i learned a lot of that along the way and then uh, i decided i was going to invest in in individuals and when i had people ready to grow we'd do the next restaurant and the next restaurant and the next restaurant um, so now we, we've created, um, you know, nine restaurants and two ice cream stores and a foundation of growth that is centered on uh, being obedient um, by um, coaching, teaching, training other people. And, um, and that message is kind of resonating throughout our business. You know, anybody that knows anything about the, the restaurant world, it's... Um, it's a mission field in itself because much like I learned when I was uh, reading about who John was, who Paul was, who Mark was, who on and on and on, and who Jesus surrounded himself with, I learned that they were so diverse. They were different. Some of them were pure sinners that he called. Some of them were scholars that thought more of their their intellectual than than their heart and he, he called them together and and formed this bond with them well the restaurant business is much like that you have people from all walks of life some of them are career people they come in here and this is their career some of them come in because they lost their career and they just need to get quick income to get back on their feet to go back into something else and many of them are young people that are transitional. They, they're coming through on their way somewhere else. And, um, and so I realized in this business that as a leader, what I needed to be was, was steadfast. I needed to be an, uh, an image of Christ. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Um, but 
I want them to see in my day-to-day life of how I act inside my business is the same way I act uh, if, at church or the same way I act if I go to a ball game or what, to be consistent. And, um, and I hope that I've, I've portrayed that to them um, because we've seen lives change through this business. I was just speaking to Larry this morning about the emotional roller coaster it is when you operate a business that has 800 employees. Uh, I mean, we're right now going through um, dealing with a, a young man that we brought in from a program. Um, the program wanted our, our trust, and we said yes, and he's relapsed twice. And we're up and down this road with him. We've been through it several times. We've been through it with a young lady that uh, tried to destroy her life. Um, and, you know, sitting at the hospital with her parents, thinking, what, what is she thinking? How, how can you think that death is more worthy than life? And so our business is full of of these challenges, and uh, and I don't know how you would meet these challenges unless you were grounded uh, some way, somehow, um, in, in something that's deeper than you are. So um, some of the things that, that I've learned along the way, um, one is, is, is thinking about the tough things that we go through as, as men, as whether it's as a father or as a business person, the, the responsibilities that are put on us as, as a man. And I shared this speaking uh, to some wonderful Boys and Girls Club uh, kids a week ago that many of them have stories just like mine where they had really tough, tough childhoods and they're and God somehow um, blesses these people that work in the Boys and Girls Club to mentor these kids and leave them with something. They may not know what it is at the time, but somewhere in their life they'll realize that somebody's dripped onto them and it's going gonna, it's gonna to soak in and it's going to stick. So in First Peter um, 5 uh, verse 10, I shared this with them and I want to share it with you. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, with himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So um, we often, often try to make sense of the struggles we go through. I mean, if, if I could explain why at the pinnacle of my career in the grocery business, I was asked to, to give it up. I can't explain it. I just, I just knew I had to be obedient. I knew, I knew I just had to to give that up. I was putting too much in my abilities. Uh, I was getting way too much um, honor and recognition when I felt like it was a a paper lion. I, I, I didn't feel like if you if you know anything about the grocery business, you're if if you make one to one and a half percent net, you know you're. You're a good operator. And I had people telling me how great I was, and I was looking at my P&Ls thinking, well, it doesn't feel great. You know, making... (laughs) 
I got millions of dollars in equipment, millions of dollars in inventory, and I'm making 1%. I mean, it didn't, it didn't feel, and it really became relevant uh, and, and really soaked in when um, the Piggly Wiggly Association started touting me as, a, as a, a young grocery man that could help other people. And they asked me to, to talk to some families, and some of them were second and third generation families. And when I sat down with them, I said, listen, I said, I know this is awkward, but we can sit here and talk all day, but I really can't help you unless I can see your P&Ls. I said, you gotta, you gotta strip the bark back a little bit, and you, got, you gotta be vulnerable and let me see your P&Ls. And so most of them were, if it's gonna help, you know, um, because they were second, third generation that were, were struggling. And I'd look at their P&Ls, and I'd see debt on their P&Ls. And I said, no, your grandfather started this? And they said, yeah, he started it 40 years ago. We've been in the same location 40 years and, you know, very proud of it. And I said, how do you have debt after 40 years being in the same location? And it became kind of a repetitive thing. So I learned that was part of the the pruning that that God did with me was revealing to me that um, that the grocery business, the independent grocery business, was going to be a tough road, and that I needed to do something else. And so, uh, the call to be debt free was the was the I guess the um, the little bit of juice I needed. It wasn't really the call. The debt free wasn't the call. It was the obedience to to do what God told me to do, which was sell it. I'm going to put you in something else. And, um, and so uh, that was a real struggle for me. I can remember um, closing my door in my office, praying, trying to make sense of why, um, why now would I, <laughs> because it was, it was a humbling experience. I, I was going to sell my grocery stores while I was president of the Tennessee Grocery Association. I was president of the Piggly Wiggly Association. Everybody's going to think I'm a failure. And God said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about what man thinks. Worry about what I have in store for you. So I did it. My wife, my wife was encouraging. Um, she had no idea what my plan was. She just knew that um, if I was called to do it, her job was to, to pray and pray and pray and pray. And I'm, I'm so grateful I have a praying woman that's behind me. Um, so that brings me to my career now. You know, we just recently uh, closed Homestead, and um, was, you know, again, it was uh, is one of those challenges as a business people, business person that you think, well, what's what's everybody gonna think if I close Homestead? You know, you know, I'm, I'm the I'm the restaurant tour that has the golden touch, you know, but five years there. Couldn't make it. Couldn't make it work. Didn't make sense to keep trying to make it work. And so I said, "Hey, we've been good stewards of this property. When we found it, it was a wreck. And it's far better as being stewards of it for five years than you know. Maybe that was what God's plan was: is that we were just supposed to steward it for five years and put it in the hands of somebody else. So I made the announcements to the employees, and I told them that." Um, we're closing, 
you should be proud that you've um, that you've introduced thousands of people to this property, and that there's thousands of people that are emotionally connected to the property that never got to set foot on it, but now the weddings and the events and the birthdays and the anniversaries and all that sort of stuff that people come to Homestead to celebrate, it'll always be with them. It'll always be a, a fond memory for them, and, and you should be proud of that. But um, God has, has called me to, to let it go, let it go. So funny thing happened as soon as I let it go is God called me to cast my nets again. I was like, I was thinking really maybe we would close Homestead and we would just kind of enjoy what we have and I could quietly go the next five, seven, ten years, whatever it is, into retirement and, uh, and enjoy the profitability of the ones that we do have and, you know, we're cutting that off. And, um, and it was pretty clear, I heard, cast your nets again. And so, share the verse or, or the story of, in, um, in Luke chapter 5, um, Jesus is on the banks and they had been fishing all night. And Peter and the guys are there cleaning their nets. And, uh, and the crowd is gathering um, because Jesus is there. And they want to hear from him. They want to hear, hear a message. And, and, uh, and they, they push so close that Jesus tells Peter, let's, let's take the boats out and I'll preach from the water. And so they get out in the water and, and he shares a message. And then Jesus says to Peter, Cast your nets out while we're out here. Let's, and they're in shallow water. And he tells them to cast their nets. And Peter, Andy, says, I've been out here all night. I've cast it on this side, that side, in deep water, not on the shore, and we've caught nothing. And quite frankly, we're a little tired. So... How about you say we row it in and call it a day? And Jesus says no. Actually, Peter responds in a way that I wish I would always respond. And that's, Lord, if you tell me, that's what we'll do. And that's what he does respond. He doesn't, he just simply says, if you tell me, I'll do it. And so that's the man I want to be. I want it to be when God says, do it, that I says, I'm not sure, God. I'm at the pinnacle of my grocery career here. I'm not sure I want to do that. It may look bad on me. It may, may reflect bad on my dad and my family. But instead, I said, Lord, you told me. So I'm going to do it. I don't know how. You know, four grocery stores. How do you find a buyer for four grocery stores with and, you know, net profits of 1%? Um, but he managed it. Kroger's bought my largest one, and then I sold two of the smaller independents, and then I just had to close one that was just um, too, many, too many obstacles into selling it. And then, you know, now the homestead, you know, I heard clearly, do this, close it, and cast your nets again. And I really wanted to respond you know, God, I'm, I'm at my twilight 
I'm, you know, I got my three kids in the business. I want to leave them a strong, healthy business. We're there. But instead, my response was, man, I hear you too clearly not to, not to do what you're telling me. I'm going to cast my nets again. So right on the heels of that, we had looked at a location in Pigeon Forge. Uh, we tried to buy it. I said, I'm not, I'm not renting any more buildings. I'm, I, I, I'm going to own them. Um, and so we called to Pigeon Forge, opportunity to buy this building, got there, looked at it, put an offer in. They said, oh, somebody put an offer in the same day that you came visited. And uh, I said, oh, well, okay. Well, I get a call um, right after we closed Homestead from the guy that bought it and said, you know what, I'm, I run Shake Shacks or what's the little one? Um, steak and Shake. I run Steak and Shakes. I have no business trying to open up a full-service restaurant uh, this size. Um, I just want to rent it to you. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not a renter. I don't want to rent. I want to own. And he said, well, what if, what if we can work out a deal for me to recover my investment here and in four years, you know, you pay four years' rents and you, you buy it. And I said, yeah, if we can negotiate the price now, not in four years, because I'm going to improve the heck out of this asset. <laughs> so that worked out, and we decided to cast our nets again. It's a great location, great opportunity, and, and, um, and I just know God's going to bless it. He's going to bless the people that work there. He's going to bless the community that we serve, because that's what we pray for. We, we pray for all the peripheral that we can affect, and the business is just, um, it's just the tool. And, um, and so... Um, that brings you update of where we're at. So in the next update we'll get, we'll, we'll find out just the, the, the amount of fishes that we tried to, had to haul in and, and, uh, and how I need to call somebody to help me um, pull these, uh, this load in. But um, I pray the same for you. I pray that, uh, that you, you hear earnestly from God and that, uh, that you have the strength and wisdom um, to answer his call when he, when he tells you what's next for you. So God bless you. Thank you. And, uh, and thank you for supporting, uh, NCS. You know, this was part of that travel that came through. I heard very clearly, um, when I was in Cabo vacationing, I was writing down my priorities, all the things, all the junk I had in my life and the new things that we needed, that I needed to be doing. And starting a men's group was one of them. And the very next day after I got back from Cabo, Wes comes and says, hey, I got this great idea. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's, that's really coincidental. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me show you my notes I just, just came back from vacation with. So uh, listening to God, answering God, uh, God um, wants to bless us in mighty ways. There, there are ebbs and flows in our lives that we go through. But the pain, there's always, behind the pain, there's always a blessing. And the blessing uh, outmeasures the pain uh, unmeasurably. So God bless you. Thank you. Have a great day. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media. We'll help you launch your podcast with confidence and excellence so you can get your message out there and connect with your audience in measurable ways. That's harringtoninteractive.com.